Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Saturday show, everybody. Hope you all are doing well. If Michelle doesn't uh, kill herself in the first 30 <laughs> seconds of the show, I think we'll be all right. Uh, yeah, I had a mishap with the headphones. <laughs> that was funny, actually. Uh, but I hope you all are doing well. Michelle, what's up? How are you? Uh, outside of the headphone situation, <laughs> yeah. not bad. <laughs> Good. That's what we like to hear. Uh, we've got two producers today. we got Sarah and Jason producing for us today. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good. That was a little bit of a morbid start. Come on. What do you mean a morbid start? You immediately go if Michelle doesn't try to kill herself. Well, she, <laughs> you know. Go. It was just funny. Uh, More funny than anything else. But we're going to have some fun on today's show. Oh, yeah. um, we have. You know, here's the thing. We've got two different topics kind of kind of laying parallel tracks. We've got the NBA offseason. Mm-hmm. we got the NBA draft is in the books now. We'll talk about the Utah Jazz, who they drafted. But then on the other side, college sports refuses to like, go, go to like offseason mode. Oh, there's no such thing as off-season mode in college sports. I've talked with a couple of coaches up at Utah, Mm -hmm. um, and especially now with the way recruiting is, like there, there just really is no off-season. Uh, and that's actually an interesting topic of conversation. Yeah. Uh, are we are we going to eventually burn burn out our college coaches and staff to to the point Mm -hmm. where? uh, you can't hire anybody to do that job anymore. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what ultimately uh, will transpire on that front. Because you're right, they're they're on all the time. It feels like anymore the month of July, and even then is questionable of how much downtime you get in that month. Even that's traditionally kind of been the one month you've had for time off. But uh, you have media days for the conferences. It's it's insanity. But nonetheless, I hope you all are doing well on this Saturday morning up and down the Wasatch Front or wherever you're tuning in from on the KSL Sports app. Uh, as we typically do, let's start the uh, show by looking back at everybody's week. Uh, Sarah, you want to start us today? What was the highlight of your week? Um, I don't even I don't even know. Probably sports for Pac-12 wrapping up. That sounds bad. No, but um, I get it. I The World Series. Yeah, is, yeah. I don't have to like 
be on call for the next game to happen, <laughs> which is kind of nice. And my sure. evenings are a little freer. Yeah. So it's probably the highlight of my week. I have I have more free time. You get a whole like month and a half off, and then it's back to Pac-12 soccer and everything. Yep, right? yeah. And even media days coming up. Oh, yeah. So there's there's still things happening, but it's not not as much. Okay. Hey, that's positive. Michelle? Um nothing really too big of note. I I'll go ahead and so this was actually something that happened last week. So uh in March we had to put my brother's dog down. I Uh-oh. called him my fur nephew. And he was so that's sweet sad. and so cute. Yeah. Um I, and my mom, of all people, ended up missing that dog <laughs> more than anybody. Don't you love that? Yeah. I know, so funny, so funny. Not even her dog, mm-hmm. uh, but she went and rescued a sweet little girl. Okay. And her name's Scout. All right, and she's so cute. And so it's Scout and Boo Radley. Scout it, and Boo Radley. I can, I can dig that. From yeah. To Kill yeah. a Mockingbird. Yeah, that, that, there you go. That works out actually just fine. But uh, so. Funny story about that. My father-in-law, uh, they had when I met my wife, they had two dogs, and they ended up uh, both of them ended up past. And they were like, you know what, we're done with dogs for a yeah. while. Well, uh, about six months ago, uh, my mother-in-law was like, you know what, I want a dog. We're gonna. Die. And my father-in-law, he's always like, I want a dog. You know who takes care of that thing more than anybody else in the entire world? My father. Father-in-law. Oh yeah. 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 It's always the one that doesn't want the dog <laughs> that ends up getting attached to the dog. Yeah, no doubt. All right, uh, Jason, what was the highlight of your week, sir? Welcome. By the way, officially, everybody, welcome Jason to the staff. He's new, so welcome to the staff, Jason. How are you, sir? Uh, well, the highlight of my week, um, being a Wizards fan, was how awesome it is to be a Wizards fan. And I say that with my tongue as deeply into my cheek as I can possibly get it. <laughs> a lot of moves. Bradley Bill, obviously, off to Phoenix. Kristaps uh, Porzingis to Boston. And essentially, they got like nothing back in return, it feels like. They got Jordan Poole, I guess, and that deal for CP3, but... Yeah, if if you can call Jordan Poole a, a good return, sure. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's the top return, I guess, of all of the moves. So, All right, uh, highlight of my week real quick uh, before we dive into the actual meat and potatoes portion of today's show would have been uh, probably the fact that uh, my – so my kids are outside kids. They love being outside. Love that. They can spend every minute of every hour they're awake outside, uh, but they <laughs> – uh, we set up a little place where they can play in our basement, mm-hmm. and they have definitely made it their own. They've got like their own little like cove they've they've created. It's Aww. absolutely like insane, like to look at because you're like that makes no sense, but it works for them. So they've kind of created their own little space, and uh, obviously it's getting a little warmer outside. And they like to play outside, like I said, but they've found a nice little niche in our house where they just hang out. So. That's good because, yeah. you know, winter's coming. Oh, well, you know, six months away. But nonetheless, <laughs> it's it's just I, – I, we were me and my wife, we were talking about, like, you know what? Let's see, see how they do with it. And like I said, it makes no sense to me. they got stuff like everywhere it feels like. Mm-hmm. But they it works for them. So well, they're, I mean, they're making do with what they got. Everybody needs their own little space. Yep, no doubt. All right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the NBA dress. Let, let's get to what's the big deal. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, 
and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> All right, the NBA draft is in the books. Uh, obviously, Victor Wembanyama goes number one overall, as we all expected. He's going to uh, make San Antonio an instant contender. Maybe we'll see what happens. I'm interested to see uh, where things ultimately shake out for him uh, down there in San Antonio. Uh, but the bigger story, obviously, here locally, Michelle, was the three picks the Utah Jazz had, and there's a lot of conversation. The Jazz rumors out there saying the Jazz are trying to move up. They're going to package picks and try and make a move to get the guy that they want. Well, in all honesty, players that they were linked to throughout most of the pre-draft process kind of fell to them in a way. They took all three of their picks right where they originally had them at 9, 16, 28, and I felt like they got three pretty solid players, and they addressed a lot of needs. Obviously, Taylor Hendricks, uh, he he was the first pick at number 9 overall. A forward out of UCF, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's the first draft pick in UCF basketball history. So Whoa. yeah, uh, so pretty impressive that was a stuff. Surprising, yeah, history for him. Uh, he is considered to be kind of your prototypical four in uh, this day and age of basketball. Uh, ability to shoot the three at a high clip. He's got the ability to stretch the floor, rebound at a high level. But more importantly, and this is one thing I think the Jazz value under at least under, what way, the way I understand it under Danny Age, the ability to defend multiple positions. And that's this is a guy. He's probably going to play the four spot for BYU. So uh, BYU. BYU. Wow, that was random. <laughs> BYU's but, going to yeah, the pros. Yeah, BYU's going to the pros. No, but uh, <laughs> for the Jazz, you probably have Walker Kessler at the five, obviously defending the rim. Then you put Lowry Markin in, where you play him at the three, who's nearly seven feet tall, by the way, in his own right. Where he's a seven footer on the wing who already can shoot it, and then you slot in Taylor Hendricks to that four spot. And I know that we're playing more with positionless basketball than we ever have before. There's no longer you're a power forward, you're a center. Like, that that stuff, those designations have kind of gone away. Mm-hmm. But this guy seems to fit into that hole where it allows Larry Markin to play his natural position of three, which is a huge advantage for the Jazz. Having him at seven foot playing on the wing is a phenomenal advantage position-wise for the Jazz. And Hendricks' ability, it looks like on paper at least, should slot in very nicely and make a very big front line for the Utah Jazz. We're talking size. Mm-hmm. Something the Jazz have lacked under the Quinn Snyder regime. You think about it. They had very small lineups, f- felt like, against other teams. Something I think Danny Ainge has made a very concerted effort with this Jazz squad is to go out and make sure that they have that positional size that gives them an advantage for once. I mean, it it seems like there was a minute where the NBA kind of went a little bit smaller. Um, Sure. And and now it kind of seems like, yeah, we're seeing it go back to we're looking at size. And so I I think you kind of have to go with the times. And it sounds like that's been addressed. Well, and that's the thing about it is. They they addressed that, and then also there were a lot of people out there saying, "Well, the Jazz need to go and get like Cam Whitmore. He he fell in the draft to number twenty to Houston, and he was considered to be in some people's eyes a top five pick. Uh, apparently, there were concerns over his him interviewing in the pre draft process, some medical concerns as well that caused him to fall. And I remember <laughs> at nine and sixteen, I'm watching social media and just Whitmore, Whitmore, because Whitmore on paper. Offers everything you want. 6'7", 230 pounds, just a chiseled frame, and is a pretty elite athlete. But the Jazz opted to go with Taylor Hendricks, and I think bet on the upside of a guy like that. And then they, with their second pick in the, in the first round, they go with Keontae George, who is a 6'4 point guard. And the, the thought was the Jazz needed a ball handling guard. They need somebody mm-hmm. that can run the offense. And that's what Keontae George's kind of rep is. He obviously, if you watched him at Baylor, 
He had issues with turnovers at times, but it comes with the experience. All, by the way, all these draft picks for the Jazz, 19 years old. Bryce Sensabaugh, who we'll talk about here in a minute, uh, number 28. Uh, they're all 19. They're all very young. They're one-and-done guys. They went one year in college and now in the NBA playing for the Utah Jazz. Babies. So, th- yes, very much so. <laughs> that, that, that's the thing about this is it's crazy to consider how young these guys are. But we had Andy Bailey on DJ and PK yesterday. He's a guy, a regular guest of ours, works for Bleach Report. And he said that the Jazz aren't necessarily expected to contend right away right now. So you can yeah. take swings on some of these younger guys and see how they pan out. I'm a, I'm of the opinion, my personal thought is I think that they've hit with Taylor Hendricks. I think Hendricks is probably going to be a guy who's in the rotation at minimum uh, come the start of the season in October. I do have questions about Keontae George immediately being capable of running, like being the starter at point guard, I think he eventually takes over that. Now, Bryce Sensabaugh, who they took at number 28, to me, he is kind of the new era of score first guards. Mm-hmm. Jordan Clarkson, you think, think of these guys who their rep is offense. Sensabaugh is a six foot six, 235-pound walking bucket, is the way I described him when I, <laughs> when I was talking on social media with people, because he, he, he knows how to put the ball in the hoop. And there, there's, a, there's a value to that. Totally. The, the question will be for a guy like that in particular, I think that's also similar for Keontae George, is how quickly can they assimilate to playing high-level defense within what the Jazz want them to do? Well, and uh, as we mentioned off-air, yeah. like that, that's what the G League's for. You, you send them off, yeah. try and develop them, especially especially if they're 19 years old. I didn't realize that all three of them were they're young so, so, so yeah. young. They are young, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and I mean... When you consider that in some in some cases they're playing against or going to be expected to play against you know men that mm-hmm. are mid twenties into their thirties, I mean there there's a big difference. Um, sure. In mature like maturity, body, mental, you know, all all that good stuff from when you're 19 to, yeah. you know, kind kind of the point that I think we start seeing guys being superstars in the league. Yeah. Um. So I, again, that that's kind of in in my estimation what the G League's for, and Utah has a good one. Well, yeah, um, that they can kind of draw from. Yeah, Steve Wojcikowski, the former Marquette uh, coach, the Duke legend, will be leading that Stars team, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. Like if a guy like Bryce Sensabaugh spends time with the Stars, because you're right, the 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 track record for the Stars has been very good. Ochai Abaji last year, he started the year with the Jazz main lineup, and. <sighs> Frankly, it was an abject failure. Just he, he looked, he looked lost. Yeah. And now uh, he is an older player. Let's also let's also say that he is an older player. He was the most uh, valuable player in the Final Four, and Abaji was 22 years old, like when he was drafted by the Jazz. So he's by NBA draft standards, he was a dinosaur when the Jazz brought him in. But he needed time, and he went down to the Stars and got extra minutes, got trained up by Scott Morrison and the staff down there with the Stars. And then when he came back over to the main lineup with the Jazz. Abaji looked like a completely different player and became, I think, a guy that the Jazz are very much going to plan on being a part of their core for the foreseeable future. That's the question about guys like Bryce Sensabaugh in particular, because you took him so late in the first round. Now, we do know that Nikola Jokic went number 41. By the way, you, uh, I don't know if you watched the draft on on Thursday. That number 41 pick, you know how it was the Taco Bell commercial is the famous thing for Nikola Jokic when he was drafted? Yeah. Well, they made very clear that they were going to air the f- number 41 pick on live TV. They they did not <laughs> cut the commercial when that pick came around. It, it made me chuckle. I, was, I don't know if I think it was necessarily planned that way, but it's just kind of funny that way. But also guys like Jimmy Butler taking 30th overall. Mm-hmm. So you can find high-level players oh, at different absolutely. points in the draft. 
I just think with Sensabaugh, his rep is he is all offense all the time. Can he now morph himself, get into better shape, and use his physical gifts? He's 6'6", 235. In another universe, another parallel universe, he's probably a tight end yeah. in the NFL. Like He's got that type of a body. Now can he use that and obviously use those physical tools to become a better player defensively, which I think is going to lend itself to him playing more hoop. No, I, I mean, you know, once you kind of get to this point, like, I mean, we, we've we talked about, like, Gobert being a bit of yeah. a liability on defense and, and some offense. of that. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Yes, offense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. Defensive player of the year. Wow. <laughs> it's okay. Um, <laughs> we've both had our gaps this morning well, already. you know, you know, BYU's yeah. going pro. Yeah. Hey. It's, it's not the Big 12. They're that's, going that's pro. The, that's the dream. <laughs> wow, this has gone off the rails. Um. Anyway, like I, there's just an expectation once you reach this level mm-hmm. that you can kind of do both things reasonably well. Now, some are more successful than others. Sure. Go bear. Yeah. Well, he <laughs> um, put the work in. That's the thing about it. But but I I think you look for guys that have especially if you're the Utah Jazz cuz you're not necessarily always going to get like the top Toppiest of the top guys, mm-hmm. uh, you have you have to have an eye for development. So yeah, you look for the guy with the bod that okay, like let's let's work on some of the stuff between the ears, see if he gets it, correct, yeah, and then move him over. Um, that that that's just I think kind of what this team's going to have to do, and it's kind of what they have done, and they've had success with it. Now uh, I I want to ask you about this. When it comes to the situation locally with the college programs, I had a question posited to me on my podcast this week by a listener about, okay, Jake, Dylan Jones at Weber State is probably the most NBA-ready guy because he actually withdrew his name from this draft. A lot of people thought he might go in the second round to come back to Weber State for another year. The question was posited to me about BYU, but I'm going to send this out to Utah and have you weigh in on this, Michelle. Is there a player or players on either the BYU, Utah State, or Utah rosters right now that you think in the near-term future, let's say two to three years, I guess is the longest range we'll look at, that you think are NBA guys? Like, do, do the local programs have NBA talent? Because the, the, the question kind of comes, the top seven picks in this draft, only two of them, no, it was the top eight, no, top seven, only two of them went to college. Two of them came from overseas. Two from o- overtime elite, the the pro league that's down in Atlanta, the the Thompson twins. So there are other means of guys getting to the pro ranks. Scoot Henderson was with the G League Ignite. Like, is college going to go more by the wayside here? And are the local programs going to have quote unquote NBA talents? So, question to you, Michelle: Does Utah on their roster right now, in your mind, in the relatively near future, have somebody you think is NBA caliber? Well, I mean. I've talked about this quite a bit, actually. I think college hoops is in a place where it's kind of self-destructing, really. In some ways. In some ways. um, Just because you do have it set up that anybody that's even reasonably good is out the door within a year. Uh, And then you add in the transfer portal and guys, you know, feeling like they deserve more playing time or mm-hmm. they want to go to a team that's more likely to win a championship or has better NIL opportunities. So it's just really hard for teams, I think, to get good ca- talent, keep good talent, <laughs> and build team chemistry. Sure. Um, but with that being said, you know, looking specifically at Utah, I think Brandon Carlson 
He's the most natural one that I think everybody points to. Potentially. I mean, he uh, he was another one that put his name in the pool, mm-hmm. withdrew it um, to come back another year. I, I think he needs to do some work in the weight room still. Um, he's a little lean. He's a little little twiggy. Um, <laughs> twiggy? I've never even heard that term. I like that, though. Yeah. Uh, it works. You know, yeah. uh, so I th- I think there's some development there, but he has he has some real potential, I think. Mm-hmm. He's a good player, um, and he's fun to watch. A little unusual. You don't usually see a guy that big be able to hit the three terribly but well. That's what this new age of the NBA is asking. Exactly. Um, so, so I think he has tools to work with, and I think that's why he went back to Utah, actually. I, I think he got some sage advice from people within the NBA ranks that mm-hmm. said, hey, you could you could come out, but it's probably not going to work out this go around. Go back and uh, you know work on X, Y, and Z over the next year and come see us again for 2024. Now, when, so when I talked about this, I, I looked at it and said, the player I think the BYU, like next level talent, and the other thing, I'll get to this in a second. The player I think has next level talent for BYU isn't actually on their roster right now. Mm. He's currently in the mission field. Okay. Yeah. Colin Chandler. And mm-hmm. there are questions about is Chandler ultimately ever going to enroll at BYU? So he's currently signed with the Cougars. So yeah. we'll see. But he's the guy, if you were to ask me, okay, and that's what I was like. The guy that I think he's not even on their roster right now. Yeah. Because what I saw from Colin Chandler in the high school ranks is that he is a next-level talent. He has got the ability to attack inside-out as a guard. He's got a nice frame on him. He's 6'3", 6'4", somewhere in there. So by NBA standards, he's still a little bit on the small side. Mm -hmm. I know that's crazy to think that a 6'4 guard might not be be big enough for the NBA, but he had the ability to attack inside-out and be a three-level scorer. And will that translate to college basketball? Will that translate to the NBA? I don't know, but the, the track record of what the players he played against in high school and he succeeded against they're NBA talents in their own right. So mm-hmm. that's the funny thing about it is like, yeah, there's a guy I think for BYU, but he's not actually playing for the Cougars right, right now. Right, right. Now, the other thing I brought up, and you brought this up right before we went on air, is that with College Hoop, the transfer portal is just kind of, it's like the you, you shake the box up and toss the pieces on the, on the table, and you're like, all right, what pieces we got? And you kind of mm-hmm. gather what you got. But you don't know yeah. who's going to stand out. And that's the thing about this. I look at each of these rosters locally with all the transfer portal additions in and out, and you're like, well, that seems like an intriguing guy, but how do they ultimately fit in with their squad? Are they the actual talent you think they are? That's the big question mark now. You kind of say that the college basketball might be self-destructing or like killing its own, killing itself. That's part of it. Is It's hard to identify, it feels like, guys who are like, okay, that seems intriguing, but until you actually see them on the court, you can't necessarily make a, a true read. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's kind of where Utah's at. This roster, for the most part, is very different than what it was last year. And last year, it was very, very different than what it was the year before. So it sometimes is hard, I think, to get a gauge of, you know, what these guys are going to look like. And, you know, are they going to gel in a way to where you get a good idea mm-hmm. uh, whether or not this is an NBA talent or not? You know, I'm there's potentially guys on on Utah's roster that just came in that I can't really make a judgment call on at the moment. I don't know. Sure. Um and to make it harder still uh 
you know, if if they don't stick around for like another year to where I can watch them, if they go end up going someplace else, you know, it it just gets really hard to kind of know. Uh, But as far as, you know, someone that I do have some familiarity with because he's been around for a little bit, it's Brandon Carlson. Sure. Does anyone else arise to be determined? We'll we'll find out here sooner than sooner than I think some some of us would all like to think. Well, and I think that's a, that's a good point you make is that you're all going to have to kind of wait and see what's happening. Like I look at what BYU added in particular to their roster, and I, I'm like, okay, intriguing player there, intriguing, but. I want to see them fit in first off with BYU and see how they do. Mm-hmm. And that that's the question. Okay, how are they going to fit in first off with this program? And then will their talent or their skill set, will it transcend what they're doing here in college where NBA scouts all of a sudden are like, hey, that's a guy. Yeah, we like we like that guy. That guy is intriguing. So let's, let's go scout that guy. That, and see, that's going to be the interesting part of where things kind of land. And it may come that... The Utes and the Cougars do have a guy or two that emerge, but we're not going to know till what next February at least. <laughs> at least, I I would think. Yeah, just, it's it's just it's just where we are where we are at, mm-hmm. and I think specifically here in the state of Utah, um, basketball is just kind of fallen away a little bit. It's in flux. There's big. There's no doubt about that because people want to identify with these teams, but they don't know who's playing yeah. really. Yeah. It I it makes it hard. It makes it hard. I I you know it's not it's not even like five years ago or Correct. six years ago when like you saw like Kyle Kuzma and Jakob Pertl and you're like yep mm-hmm. those are NBA guys. It's just it's harder now. Yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. All right. Uh, more to come on this. We'll also, uh, we're going to dig into the Mountain West, uh, essentially telling San Diego State, oh, no, you did uh, tell us you're leaving. <laughs> uh, we'll dig into that. And also, the, the Pac-12 made a move uh, at the top of their food chain that I think slipped under the radar. Yeah. We'll talk about that as well. we got plenty to come. This is the Saturday show right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. Jay Catch, Michelle Bodkin along for the ride on this Saturday morning. Hope you all are doing well. Please welcome in now Jason Beatty. He is the UCF beat writer for the Orlando Sentinel and Orlando Sports. Jason, thank you for taking some time this morning. Absolutely. I'm glad to be on the show with you guys. All right, uh, we brought you on because uh, Taylor Hendricks, uh, drafted by the Utah Jazz with the ninth overall selection, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I read this uh, as the draft was unfolding. Is he the first and only draft pick out of UCF's men's basketball program in their history? Uh, not the first and only, but he's the first and only first-round draft Got it, pick. okay. Uh, he's the third all-time. 
the last was um, 2009, but uh, and then another one in the 70s. So he's the third all time, but he's the first ever one and done. He's the first ever first round pick, uh, first lottery pick, all of the above. So he's definitely uh, one of the most notable for sure. So tell me a little bit about Taylor Hendricks. People around here seem very excited to get him. I've seen and read that he's very athletic, uh, maybe one of the more athletic guys in this year's draft. You know, what What do you think he's going to bring to the table for the Utah Jazz? Yeah, I think he, he really fits what the modern NBA has become. Um, you know, he, he's lengthy, athletic, um, you know, really – moves well for his size um and he's the ultimate three and d player so he can go down the offensive court create his own shot shoot the three and and run back and get a block on the other end um you know he, he was one of the only players in college basketball last season with like 50 plus threes 50 plus blocks uh you know a bunch of rebounds and, and he can really play you know anywhere you need need him on defense and on the other side of the court um, you know he can he can shoot the ball really well, and he can drive to the hole and take it to the rim and and dunk. I mean he had the he was around the rim a lot last season for UCF, uh, but he extended the floor really well for them uh, around the perimeter. So he's just a really athletic guy. Um, you know he's obviously coming from a school like UCF. You know the American Athletic Conference is a good basketball conference with Houston in it and uh, you know Memphis and a couple other top teams. But um, you know certainly he didn't play. You know, for a school like a Duke or, or, or you know, a blue blood program like that, but um, you know, his athleticism is really what makes him different. Um, and uh, you know, he, he was on full display throughout the season for UCF. Now, the rep on him you mentioned is a three and D guy, but I, in most people's eyes, they feel like he can expand his repertoire to become a true uh, modern four in the NBA. And I think the biggest thing the Utah Jazz value in, in this case is a guy who can defend multiple positions. He's six nine, two hundred ten pounds. Uh, is he a guy in your mind that's capable of defending every position on the court, or is he going to be limited in some way defensively? Yeah, I think certainly he can defend you know the three through the five. Um, you know, I, I think. Obviously, I don't think you'd want him, uh, you know, covering small guards and whatnot. I mean, if you get the mismatch, that that'd be great too. But mm-hmm. um, you know, he he was all over the court on defense for UCF. I mean, he's not um, you know a, a big bulky guy, um, but obviously, as he develops and, and and puts on muscle, he'll be able to add to his strength and his physicality. Um, but yeah, UCF used him all over the court on defense last season. You mentioned he maybe needs to put on some muscle. He's 19 years old. How quickly do you think he will be effective for Utah? Yeah, no, I think he'll be able to, um, you know, be an impact right away for them. Um, you know, obviously Utah has someone like Walker Kessler um, and, and it has talent around the team, obviously. Um, but I think Taylor, you know, as he grows into his body, you mentioned he's only 19 years old. Um, you know, I, I read that he he got asked what's his earliest NBA draft memory, and he mentioned Bam Adebayo getting picked in 2017. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that, that sounds so recent for us, but yeah. that was seven years ago when he was 12 years old. So that's just how young he is, and that's what's most amazing about this is, um, you know, really there's, there's so much upside. You know, I think he's one of the guys in the draft with a lot of upside and a lot of athleticism. 
Jason Beatty joining us, UCF Knights beat reporter for Orlando Sports and the Orlando Sentinel joining us here on The Zone. And uh, you, you talk about him. He's a guy who is, if I'm not mistaken, born and raised in Florida, born in Fort Lauderdale, if I'm not mistaken, won three state titles in high school there and then spends one, the one season at UCF. Uh, how do you think he'll adjust making the cross-country move out here to the mountains of Utah? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, you know, I, I didn't know exactly where he would land I figured he'd get drafted somewhere in that seven to ten range. Uh, you know, obviously, I think the Orlando Magic it would have been it would have been a really cool story to see him sure. remain in Orlando. But um, you know, for him to go out to Utah will be interesting. Um, I think it's a you know a great move, and I think he's going to really enjoy uh, that part of the country. But you mentioned that he's from South Florida. He won uh, multiple state titles down at Calvary Christian Academy in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and he really wasn't, I mean, he was a four-star recruit, but, um, you know, he, he was, you know, just inside the top 100 for his class. I mean, he was not supposed to be UCS first ever one and done. <laughs> um, and that speaks to his, you know, athleticism and, and they, Johnny Dawkins and his staff did a great job of putting him in the right spots for him to make plays. And he really developed, uh, you know, as the season went on into a legit NBA prospect. And of course, uh, you know, that's what Utah's getting in him. I feel like Florida and Utah have uh, something else kind of in common coming up here really quick, actually. Uh, what is the excitement level in Orlando for the move to the Big 12? Yeah, it's it's as close as we've been to the July 1, uh, but the last two years since UCF accepted the invitation to the Big 12 Conference, uh, you know, there's, there's a special buzz on campus and around the UCF community for sure. Um, you know, this is something that UCF has been working for for such a long time to get this invite to join a Power Five conference. Uh, you know, of course, you mentioned at BYU, of course, uh, one of the new schools as well, along with Cincinnati and Houston. But um, no, they're through the roof. I mean, this is this is a, a major milestone, uh, not just for the athletics department, but for the university as a whole. And uh, they're really excited to you know to start Big Twelve play. Uh, that, and that brings up an interesting question I had for you. It's like Johnny Dawkins is a pretty big name in basketball circles, and the 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 Big Twelve itself, the football obviously is the driving factor in a lot of this when it comes to conference realignment. But basketball in the Big Twelve is going to be a huge, huge deal because, in my eyes, and I think most people's eyes, it's going to be the premier basketball conference in the college ranks uh, for years to come. Uh, how do you think Coach Dawkins goes about uh, keeping UCF competitive? Because I think we got a similar circumstance out here with BYU looking at Mark Pope and thinking, okay, how are they really going to compete? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think, you know, you think of the Big 12 as the top basketball conference for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and I think UCF fans automatically think, okay, UCF, you know, really didn't dominate the America Athletic Conference in their time in the conference. You know, they did make the NCAA tournament in 2019. Of course, we all know about how they almost upset Duke in the second round with Taco Fall and Aubrey Dawkins and B.J. Taylor. But, um, you know, when you get to the Big 12, you don't have to win the league to make the NCAA tournament. You don't even have to finish in third or fourth or fifth. I mean, as long as you don't come in, like, the bottom third of the league, you should be able to make the NCAA tournament. And and in the American, it was really, you know, you have to win the conference or have an extremely strong non-conference showing. So, you know, I'm not saying UCF's going to accept me, you know, being mediocre or, or you know, just going to go with what happens in the Big 12. They obviously want to win the league and, and be competitive sooner than later. But um, I think it definitely is a, 
you know, a reality check, but also it's it's a different standard. Um, you know, the, the Big 12 is competitive, and just because you even if even if you finish in a 500 league record, you know, you're probably in a good chance of making the NFL tournament, which is something that doesn't happen often at UCF. One of the things I'm most excited about is seeing how everybody kind of adjusts to this move. I got a front row seat to Utah moving. Um, that's the beat that I'm actually on. Interestingly enough, BYU, all all three of their coaches that are kind of in charge of making calls, the head coach, the offensive Speaking coordinator, of and the defensive coordinator all were with Utah when they actually originally moved to the Pac-12. What is UCF kind of doing football-wise, athletic department-wise to prepare for this move? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, Gus Malzahn, of course, is the head coach for UCF football, and he actually recently handed off play calling to a new offensive coordinator that UCF hired. Um, the previous offensive coordinator, who was the quarterback's coach, Chip Lindsey, actually didn't call plays. Uh, Gus Malzahn had called plays for UCF the first two years in Orlando, and that was something he, he stopped doing it at near the end of his time in Auburn. He wanted to call plays again. And actually, when he was introduced, he said he would call plays for the rest of his career. So it kind of was an interesting twist when he gave up play calling again. And he did that really so he could focus on NIL and recruiting and become more of a CEO role for the football program. So Darren Henshaw was uh, actually a UCF quarterback, uh, holds a bunch of records, and uh, you know he's actually – you know, now the offensive coordinator calling the plays. Uh, but the athletics department as a whole, um, you know, they, they've done uh, different stops with fans. Um, they used to have something called the Charge On Tour, where the coaches would go around the state of Florida uh, to different locations in the state. But this year they actually went national and they had a, they called it the Night Nation celebration. They went to Atlanta, to New York City. Um, the main UCF collective is doing other events throughout the country as well. So, um, they have a lot planned, and I think they're just really excited to, for July 1 to arrive. Now, uh, out here in Utah, obviously, a lot of BYU fans are excited for this move, and they're having like a week-long celebration in the lead-up to this. Uh, they're having, I think, they're, they're having like a big party on July 1. They're having like a, they, you know, Midnight Madness like for basketball. They're having essentially right. like a, a Big 12 Madness on Friday night down there in Provo <laughs> to celebrate this. <laughs> Is that going to be the same type of a deal that UCF? Are they having like a, a series of events leading up to July 1? Yeah, you know, I mentioned the Night Nation celebration yeah. in Atlanta and New York, and, and they have a, they're have they actually doing a downtown Orlando party Got it. Okay. Uh, in August. But um, I, I haven't seen any plans really for, you know, uh, you know, going into midnight July 1 or anything like that. I do know there were some fans that put together a block party near campus. Um but officially, UCF hasn't really. I mean, the Night Nation celebration is yeah. that exactly what it is. Um, you know, they went, they decided to go national as opposed to hyper local. But um, yeah, I think you know, regardless, you know, fans are excited. And, uh, I think they're, you know, the, I think for a large portion of the fan base, they've already felt like they're, you know, in the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, even though July one is officially when they become mm-hmm. members of the Big Twelve, they've certainly acted like Power Five fans for quite some time. Which which programs within UCF do you think are most ready to compete and maybe win some things in the Big 12? Yeah, you know, of course, I think UCF's top athletics 
team is is the football program. It's a football school. I think anyone can, uh, you know, would agree with that. Of course, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what UCF can do year one in football. Um, I, you know, I think making a bowl game year one would be great. You know, Gus Malzahn truly believes, I mean, he doesn't just say this to say it. He truly believes that they can win the Big 12 Conference, uh, you know, sooner than later. But, you know, beyond football, of course, um, I actually would say softball. You know, Sydney Ball Malone, the program she's built, uh, you know, they hosted a Super Regional um, two years ago this past season. They made the NCAA tournament again for the third year in a row. Um, you know, they've, they've added some key pieces in the in the transfer portal, and they have a player in Jada Cody who's, you know, one of the best hitters in all of college softball. Um, I, I would say softball, you know, certainly in their non-conference, they've played a handful of Big 12 teams the last few years under Ball Malone and have won a majority of those games. So, um, you know, of course they ran into Oklahoma, uh, you know, they didn't host the Super Regional, my bad. They hosted a regional last year. They ran into Oklahoma in the Super Regional last year as a 16th seed. But, um, you know, certainly I think softball is one of the better sports that, you know, could could win right away. Jason Beatty joining us, Big 12, uh, not Big 12, UCF beat writer <laughs> for the Orlando Sun. I'm going to cover the Big 12 as well along the way. Uh, but I wanted to also ask you, in terms of – UCF getting ready for the Big 12. The chatter I have seen online, and UCF fans are very vocal, and I love it. I love the interaction, the few times I've kind of <laughs> ventured into that realm. But there is talk down there, and I, this is me reading from thousands of miles away out here in Utah. USF announced that they are going to build a new on-campus stadium, and there's some talk that it may ultimately, if conference realignments comes back around, where they may see themselves get uh, pulled into the Big 12 to team with UCF. How would UCF fans respond to that if their their <laughs> conference rivals, the war on I four, if USF were a member of the Big Twelve alongside them? Well, I think if you ask fifty percent of the fan base, they would say no, thank you. <laughs> uh, but I think I think the other half of the fan base says, you know, yes, absolutely. The, you know, I think these two programs love to hate each other, um, and, and whether or not they want to admit it, I think. Um, you know, let me put it this way. I think USF picked a really bad time to be bad at football. Um, yeah. And that's just sure. kind of, sure. that's kind of unlucky for them. Um, you know, if they have been a more competent football program, we all know football drives all of this conference realignment, as you mentioned earlier, you know, certainly I think the big 12 would have loved to add the one I for Rickett Stewart's conference. Um, you know, obviously it's not the most historic, uh, college football, uh, rivalry, but it certainly had its moments. You know, 2017 Warren I4 was one of the best football games uh, of the season that year. Um, and in all of their sports, it's always competitive. I mean, UCF certainly has dominated the rivalry in recent years and whatnot through various sports, especially football. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if if USF could actually build its on-campus stadium and, and and really get its act together in football. You know, Alex Golish is the head coach there, former UCF offensive coordinator mm-hmm. under Josh Heupel's down in Tennessee. Um, you know, if they can get that going and actually show commitment to facilities, to fundraising, um, certainly it would make a lot of sense down the line for the Big 12 to invite USF and, and continue that rivalry once again as conference mates. But um, I think there's a lot of UCF fans that could listen to this interview later and say, what the heck is he talking about? No way, Jose. So, uh, you know, but that's the rivalry. That's, that's yeah. what I said before. They love to hate each other. 
Well, here's the thing. It's one of my favorite rivalry names in all of college sports, the War on I-4. It's like the perfect name for it, but it's, it's really fun. We'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting to track it. Uh, we look forward to catching up with you more as, truthfully, the, the Big 12 comes to Central Florida and also to BYU, Jason. Appreciate you carving out some time for us here in Salt Lake City. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, there you go, Jason Beatty, uh, UCF beat reporter for Orlando Sports and the Orlando Sentinel. And here's the thing, USF, he's right. They picked a really, really bad time to be bad at football because, honestly, had they been any sort of decent, there's a decent chance that, uh, like, Houston's like, okay, that's nice, Houston, but there's this USF squad over here because it would bring a nice rivalry into that conference. Yeah, uh, well, and I, uh, as you were asking yeah. that question, I was uh, thinking about when we had BJ Daniels on sure. yeah, yeah. La- last year, uh-huh. and I think we asked him a similar question, and yeah, like that, <laughs> they don't get along, <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I do know that USF is, is putting in a lot of work mm-hmm. uh, to, to improve in a lot sure. of different areas, and the facilities are one of them, and it's it's an interesting case. I I know a lot of people like to make fun of USF, but to be honest, if they can get it together, they could be a problem. Well, it's it's a desirable thing. place. Like who doesn't want to hang out in Tampa? I was gonna say Orlando and Tampa would be two really like good locations recruiting Tampa especially because it's right there on yeah. the water. And and, that. and that's my thing. Well, okay, our resident Tampa resident our resident Tampa native Sarah is a big fan of that. Yes, love Tampa. Big fan. Such a pretty city. Very underrated. I've Very never underrated. been to Tampa. I've been to like pretty much every other city, big city in Florida. Never been to Tampa. I need to make it there someday. Yeah, well, when you go, let me know. I'll let you know where to go. The little, the little taste of it I got in like the 24 hours that I oh, yeah, you were there. I, yeah. I was, there, <laughs> was there actually visiting PJ. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it was cool. It's, it's a place I wouldn't mind going back and maybe spending a little bit more time uh, and checking out. I've never been that way. But yeah, it was really pretty. Very green, actually. Oh, yes. I miss it. I mean, right now it's been pretty green here, but yeah. greener than normal. But it's, say, it's but, a different uh, type of green, though. That's, a different yes. type that's of green. tropical green versus say, like forest green. Come on. We've got, we got, we got a little different environment. I'll give, I'll give Utah a little credit, but yes, Florida green. Tampa Green is very different. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, we will come back on the other side. We'll get to technical fouls, wrap up hour one of the program that's coming up next right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. And if you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show. As you heard, it's time now for technical fouls. And uh, it, it, here's the thing. This this segment is always fun. And by the way, I didn't know that this segment is as old as it is. I, did I tell you about this? Jake Scott told me that he was doing this way back when, when he was uh, early on in his radio career. That's, that's going back almost two decades. Jeez. So it's been around for way, a minute. Way to call out Jake Scott. Uh, Jake doesn't <laughs> mind. He calls me out all the time. What are you talking about? Sarah Sarah knows all about that. Yeah, he's he's known to call out multiple people. He's got, yeah. he, 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 let's put it this way. Love Jake to death. Worked with him essentially the entire time I've done radio. Absolutely love the dude. But he does take his swipes. There's no doubt about that. Oh, but he can take it too. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you dish it back, he'll, oh, come on. he'll be classy. Have you it. heard him with PK? 
<laughs> it's three hours of Jake just being on the defensive the entire time. Oh, man. It's crazy. It sounds but. like quite the boxing match. Oh, it, it is. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. All right. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, Sarah, I want to start with yours because you mentioned this in the break. I did not know about this story, so explain what's going on here. Okay. I don't know all the information, but there was a tennis match going on. And okay. l- I, let me see if I can pronounce her name right. So it's Emma Radicanu. Sure. Good we'll job. Go, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, is about to put in a serve, and this little kid is sitting up in the stands, and it's dead silent, and he goes, Emma, will you marry me? And everyone just bursts out laughing. She turns around and, like, waves at him and smiles, and the little kid is just, like, beaming. It was so funny. And I was like, hey, shoot your shot. And he was pretty young, so it was kind of funny. He's already, you know he's going to grow up to be be quite... Quite a quite yeah. a man, ladies yeah. man, yeah, hey, ladies man. You're right. Shoot your shots. See, see what happens. Interesting. All right. Funny story. All right. That's pretty good though. Like the idea of doing that because let's put it this way: not very many people can get away with something like that. No. Yeah. But, no. Hey. There, there. There's a certain point where that goes from being cute, really cute, to, to like really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Michelle, what do you got for us this week? Okay, so we're keeping it a little more local. Oh, this is if you were going to go with this one, I was going to go with it. Honestly, um, I had to. I had teed up. So go ahead. Yeah. So uh, earlier this week, I was having a nice evening, and actually, Jake. Sorry, you. Ru- sorry, I ruined it for you. Jake texts me and goes. There's something going on with Cam Rising potentially. Have you, have you seen it? And I'm like, what? No. Like, what do you mean there's something potentially going on? I'm the technical foul. Yes. No, it's actually not you. Um, so I, he's like, go. It, it, it sounds like maybe there's an issue with his recovery from mm-hmm. his ACL surgery. Um, someone on Twitter is posting it and people are talking about it. Yes. So I was like, okay, let me go find this. Found the account. Mm-hmm. Found myself doing a, uh, I don't know, this doesn't seem like a legit person, but hey, let's poke around a little bit. This is like 8.30 at mm-hmm. night. Like, this is quitting time, guys. Oh, yeah. Like, if there's not a game, like, I don't want to be doing stuff. <laughs> sure. Um, turns out, obviously, not accurate. Just a troll account, making stuff up, causing problems. Uh, but the best part was the next morning, Cam Rising apparently was made aware of what happened or saw it on his Twitter feed. I don't know what happened Something, exactly yeah. there. Um, and had the best GIF response. And uh, this thing has blown up. It's just a GIF of someone saying, oh, really? <laughs> it's Nicholas, not Nicholas Cage. It's um, it's from a Marvel movie with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Like, oh, really? Like, yeah. Oh, really? It was the perfect response, honestly. Uh, but, I mean, this tweet now has 297 retweets, 3,038 likes, mm-hmm. uh, and has been seen by 638,000 people. Very nice. <laughs> so, uh, very funny. But uh, it's just kind of one of those situations. Don't put fake information out there. Like, it mm-hmm. just... The players don't want to deal with it. You end up making other people have to go to work at inconvenient yeah. times oh, because yeah. it could, I mean, there might potentially be something there. Uh, it's just really rude and inconsiderate all the way around. Sorry I ruined your night. <laughs> no, but he, That wasn't you. 
it wasn't your fault but, though. But he but he did handle it the right way. Oh, he it, totally did. A little a little tongue in cheek humor. Yeah, it was great. Absolutely. All right, I got a quick one. It comes on two different fronts from MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred. He is no stranger to being called out in this segment. Uh, <laughs> he here's the thing. He he, he ripped. Oakland Athletics fans, they had what they called their reversed boycott where they actually showed up in mass, like 28,000 people showed up for an Oakland Athletics game uh, with the idea of stopping the team from moving to Las Vegas. Right. Well, he, is, White. <laughs> he says that the one big turnout by Oakland Athletics man doesn't, quote, change a decade worth of inaction, unquote. And then he also said this. Uh, he said he was taken out of context when he sarcastically praised the 28,000, nearly 28,000 fans by saying they were almost, quote, Almost an average Major League Baseball crowd this season. Like he, he, he is getting himself in all kinds of he- headlines that way. But then he follows that up later this this past week, Michelle, by saying that uh, telling Time Magazine that if he were to go back and do it over again, he probably wouldn't have taken the immunity deal off the table for Houston Astros players and their sign stealing scandal. No kidding, dude. <laughs> like. He's talking about both sides of his mouth. He's ripping one fan base, but then he's like, well, I'm going to curry some favor by saying that I'm going to make all the other MLB fans. I probably should have punished those players. No kidding. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I mean, his comments about the athletics, kind of not wrong. Well, yeah, and he's standing up for an owner who he works for, obviously, and but I, I can get why people came off like, wow, can you sound a little more insensitive? Yeah, well, sh- you shouldn't have added the other parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I get where he's coming from on that. Like, if you guys really cared, then you would have been showing up the whole time. Their owner sucks, though. I will say that. That, yeah. It's been a whole thing. I, I know this. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Poor Oakland. Yeah. Can't, can't keep anybody. <laughs> well, yeah. Following the owner's meeting, he says, I, th- I mean, it was great to see those fans. I think it's great to see, to see an almost average Major League Baseball crowd in the facility for one night. That's a great thing, unquote. Like, it's, it was such like a pat on the head <laughs> thing. But then he says, he says, he tells time this, quote, I'm not sure I would have approached it with giving players immunity. Once we gave players immunity, it puts you in a box as to what you exactly can do in terms of punishment. No kidding. Yeah. Hey, um, I can speak freely and not have any repercussions. Yeah, okay, I'll tell you exactly what was going on here. And so, yeah, I don't know. Way to go, Manfred. Uh, I, I don't get it, but you're right. He is doing his job because he is a commissioner. He works for the owners. Like his job is to take these arrows or shots at him, so the other thirty owners in MLB don't have to worry about it yeah. necessarily. All right. Anyways, that was good. That was good stuff. the The tennis one, I had no idea that actually. I know, happened. I funny. never saw that. Now I'm gonna have to go find it. It's yeah. on Sports Center's Instagram. Okay, Aww. I'll have to go look at it. No doubt. All right, uh, we will come back on the other side. Uh, we're gonna dive into two topics in the college sports realm. Uh, one involving the Mountain West Conference and the Pac-12 potentially, and one obviously impacting the Pac-12 directly at the top of their food chain. We'll get to all that next. This is the Saturday Show on ninety-seven point five FM, the KSL Sports Zone. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. 
And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.